Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for singing when you weren't supposed to. Marilyn Ham, you'll notice, uh, has not changed quite that much. Uh, she's out sick this morning, and so uh, thank you for, for filling in in the way that you always do. It looks sort of schizophrenic in here. We have Thanksgiving here. We have sort of Christmas over there. Uh, that's by design because the hanging of the greens tonight uh, is where we officially begin the season of Advent, it, even though this is the first Sunday in Advent. The hanging of the greens tonight is not just a time that people get together and decorate. It is a full-fledged service, but it is participatory. A lot of people are participating, and so we invite you to come. If you've been here, you know what it's like, and it's a highlight of um, of the season. So that's why it looks a little schizophrenic, a little strange in here this morning. We are in the book of Isaiah. I'd encourage you to turn there with me. The seventh chapter of uh, the book of Isaiah. I wonder, have you ever made what turned out to be a bad decision because honestly, you were just impatient? Uh, Because you made the decision in too much of a hurry. Has that ever happened to you? Can you think of a time, does one particular time come to mind when you paid a price, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, for your own impatience? Consider that uh, as we work through this passage in Isaiah. Today is the first Sunday in the church season, like I said, of Advent. The word Advent means the coming into view. Or the arrival, which for us means the arrival of Jesus, the Savior that God promised to send to the world. He is the one for whom the world waited. Throughout history, though, different people waited in different ways, depending on who they were, depending on what they'd experienced, depending on how they thought and felt about God and what he was doing in the world. So in these Sundays approaching Christmas, we're going to look at how some people handled that time of waiting. And in those people, we will probably also see something of ourselves in one way or another. And we start today with a person whom you might consider rather strange, uh, King Ahaz, uh, an obscure king of Judah who lived over 700 years before Jesus' birth. What in the world does King Ahaz have to do with Christmas, with Advent, and with Christ? Well, you need to know a little bit of background. By the time of Ahaz, God's people, the Hebrews, had for centuries operated as two separate nations. The result of of a huge family, really, quarrel that dwarfs anything that you've ever read about the Hatfields and McCoys, okay? The northern tribes kept the name Israel. The southern tribes took the name Judah. Ahaz became Judah's king when he was 20 years old, and he reigned as Judah's king for 16 years. He was the son of Jotham, who was a good and a godly man and a godly king. But Ahaz did not embody his father's godliness. 
And over time, Ahaz departed nearly completely from the Lord's ways. He adopted the practices of idol worship. He desecrated God's temple in Jerusalem in all kinds of different ways. He even participated in child sacrifice to the point of sacrificing his own children. Throughout his reign, he did a lot of terrible things, mostly having to do with the institution of large-scale idolatry in Judah. So bad was his behavior that even though he was buried with his ancestors in Jerusalem, he did not earn a place in the tombs of the kings. You can read all about that and all about his reign, if you want to, in two places, 2 Kings chapter 16 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. So you might wonder, how is it that someone who was born in the line of David, someone born from a godly grandfather, Uzziah, King Uzziah, and a godly father, Jotham, I mentioned, and who himself became the father of a good and godly king, Hezekiah. How is it that a person like that could wander so far from his lineage and from his examples? Many a parent through the ages have wondered that very thing. And while none of us can perfectly discern the motivations of the human will, we can often identify points along a person's journey that encouraged motion in one direction or another. And we see one of those points. We see one of those moments in Ahaz's life here in this text, a decision that he made very early in his reign, a decision he made with rash impatience that wound up shaping both his own destiny and also the destiny of Judah, the nation that he was charged to lead. This was the situation. Two of Judah's neighboring countries, Aram and and sadly Israel, Judah's own blood relatives, those two nations agreed together to attack and overthrow Judah. And they came against Ahaz and Judah several times and they inflicted heavy casualties and they plundered some of Judah's smaller cities. Because this was the first time really Judah and Jerusalem particularly had ever felt threatened to this degree. There was a lot of fear and there was a lot of confusion and there was even panic both in the leader and in the people of Judah alike, which also meant There was great potential for disaster. It was a very dangerous moment in Judah. And so you might be able to imagine the things that were going on. You know, Ahaz's military advisors, his political leaders, they're all coming around him. And they're all suggesting to him different options, different strategies. Some urged him to give in to Aram, give in to Israel, maybe throw yourself on their mercy. Others were probably telling him to ask Assyria for help, a local superpower. Uh, Others were suggesting alliances with other nations around, maybe Egypt or someone else. So it was into this sort of fearful and quite unstable circumstance that God sends the prophet Isaiah with a message that we read there in those first nine verses of chapter 7. It basically says this. 
Ahaz, if you will put your trust in the Lord, you will have nothing to worry about. But if you don't, then you will not survive. That's the sum of what Isaiah had to say. The message of the Lord became this point of decision for Ahaz. The end of verse 9 there, God wants to know, in whom will Ahaz, the leader of Judah, place his trust? That's the issue. Who are you going to trust? Now, we all know something about how Ahaz felt here. We all have either been or we will be in a, a position like Ahaz. We may not be leading a nation, but we will be put in that kind of a position. Will we really trust a God that we can't see in the face of a crisis that we can see? Is our trust in God really settled enough to be able to do that? Was Ahaz's settled enough to do that? That's the question of faith, you see. Do you really have it or do you only imagine that you have it? That's the question. And that's the point of decision Isaiah is driving toward in verse 9. There where he warns Ahaz, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. There's a word play going on in the Hebrew that different translations have tried to capture. Maybe yours says it a little bit differently. Some say, Isaiah says, have firm faith or you'll fail to stand firm. Uh, Or without enduring faith, you will not endure. They're trying to get at what the Hebrew is, is trying to say. I like the New Living Translation that says, if you won't remain faithful, then you won't remain standing. <laughs> because in all times, but especially in times of great crisis, trust in God simply must come first. That's what faith is. Choosing to trust regardless of circumstance. And in order to choose to trust, one has to be open in heart and in spirit to trusting. You've got to be willing to trust. If you're not, you see, then there's no amount of objective evidence. There's no amount of proof that will convince anybody of anything having to do with God if someone is not at least willing to consider it. With Ahaz here, Isaiah could have counted up dozens and dozens of past successes of Judah. He could have given him a list of things here. There were so many things. Judah has succeeded in so many ways where the northern kingdom of Israel had failed. Judah ultimately outlived Israel by nearly 200 years since the beginning of this divided kingdom. You know, the northern kingdom had been full of strife and jealousies. There were assassinations. There were usurpers. And consequently, Israel, the northern kingdom, suffered lots of truly bad leaders. But Judah was different. Judah was different. The house and the line of David ruled Judah for nearly 500 years. And that gave Judah a stability That Israel did not have. Because just as God had promised, see, he helped and preserved the line of David as long as they honored him. As long as they honored him. And this was the great choice Isaiah presented to Ahaz here. Would he exercise faith? 
Would he choose to trust God, the God of the Hebrews? Or would he trust in some other power in order to preserve him and to preserve his country? You see, Isaiah fully realized the gravity of this moment. Isaiah understood what was going on. He knew the importance of this king's decision. And he knew the pressures the nation faced. He understood that. He saw those armies out there too. And he knew the will of God. But Isaiah also knew the disposition of King Ahaz. It had already proven to be one not of faith. And so he pressed him here. Isaiah, he says, Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign. A sign that proves what I'm saying is right. A sign that will cement your trust in him. Ask him. Ask him for anything. The offer of Isaiah's was truly this blank check proposition. You know, those don't come around too often. And yet Ahaz would not do it. In fact, his response on the surface seems so virtuous. Seems spiritual. He says there in verse 12, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. (laughs) What Ahaz could not see is that it was he and not the Lord who was being tested. As the king of Judah, of course, he was Jewish in faith, at least on paper. But here he was being urged to actually act on his faith, to take a step of faith. Would he do it? Would he do it? No, he would not. He rejects Isaiah's offer. He rejects God's offer of help. He rejects even collecting any evidence of God's ability to help. He rejects it all. Why? Why? The fact is his mind was already made up as to what he was going to do. Uh, he had already chosen his way. He, his, his way was to appeal to Assyria. But there's a deeper reason. Uh, the deeper reason is that aside from appearances, Ahaz had neither faith nor the desire to have faith in God. Uh, he was not open in head or in heart. He was not open to actually trusting God. And so any evidence to do that would only confuse him, maybe even embarrass him. So he didn't want it. He didn't want it. You see, again, where there's no real will to actually trust in God, to act in faith, where there's no will to do that, no amount of evidence is going to ever make any difference. Actually, evidence just complicates it. It's something that has to be explained away. It muddies the situation with facts. (laughs) To a person who's not inclined or open to believe no amount of evidence is ever going to satisfy or lead to faith. It takes at least an inclination to embrace evidence. That's why, you know, that's why we can't reason with people who deeply and implicitly reject God. We try and we try, but we can't do that. No matter what's said, no matter what objective evidence might be presented, it's never enough. It's never enough. 
It was bad enough for Ahaz to reject God's offer in Isaiah. But to do it under the guise of godliness and virtue, as he does, oh, I would not put the Lord to the test. I think that really made Isaiah kind of mad. In fact, I'm pretty sure it did. Uh, You can hear it in his response in several ways. For one thing, Isaiah refers now to God as my God. Did you see the difference? Instead of as your God or our God. It's subtle, but he makes the distinction. That's telling right there. Isaiah also accuses Ahaz of trying God's patience, which is his way of saying, look, God and I both know what you're up to here. We both know where your heart is in relation to God. You know, Isaiah was a pretty brave guy to come at the king like this. Isaiah was a pretty brave soul. He was brave because he was utterly convinced that God was with him. He knew that without a shadow of a doubt. You and I could be that courageous too if only we were as convinced of God's presence. Isaiah was no Superman. He was just completely convinced that God was with him. So that stuff in Ahaz's response, sure, it made Isaiah mad. But I think there's an even bigger issue behind Isaiah's anger here that you see and you sense in his words. You see, Isaiah realized something else. He realized that Ahaz is not just putting his own life in jeopardy. And Isaiah realized that Ahaz was not just putting the city of Jerusalem in jeopardy, or even the the temple and all of its treasures, or even just the whole nation of Judah. Ahaz was doing more. In this act of distrust that he's committing, Ahaz is bringing to an end the whole Davidic line of Judah's leadership. That's likely why Isaiah addresses Ahaz there in verse 13 as, You house of David. God, through Isaiah, is calling Ahaz, Judah's leader, to decide, Who are you going to be? What God are you really going to follow? Are you going to trust the Lord? But Ahaz wouldn't do it. And so Isaiah knew, as John Oswald puts it, He said that this resolute act of unfaith signaled the abandonment of God by the Davidic dynasty. And it opened the door to its eventual destruction. Ahaz's choice here had huge implications. Just like sin always does, you know. Uh, There's no truly private sin. You've heard that. There's no sin That is merely private. There's no act of unfaith that affects only us individually. Our relationship with God, our trust in him, it's part of this web of relationships that we are all in with other people. Now granted, Ahaz is a a very broad example. (laughs) But the same is true for all of us, if only on a, a little smaller scale. In spite of Isaiah's urging, Ahaz would not even consider the vast implications of his choice here and how it would impact millions of people over centuries of time. 
He wouldn't even think about it. And it's all because of impatience. It was this hurried decision based on incomplete information. He only could see what he saw with his eyes. And it was forced by this terminal lack of faith in his heart and in his spirit. It led to the end of the house of David, at least in human terms. Thankfully, not in eternal terms. Because God is faithful to his covenant. You see, his promise. Even if humans aren't, God is going to be faithful to his promise. And because of that, Ahaz was going to get a sign, (laughs) Isaiah says, whether he wanted one or not. God was going to give him one. Whether he's open to one or not, doesn't matter. Because God is faithful to his part of the covenant. That's why Isaiah launches into what is uh, what Matthew in his gospel receives as a clear messianic prediction of the birth of Jesus. Matthew one twenty three. Even though because of Ahaz, the human line of David failed, God's promise of a Davidic savior is still going to be fulfilled. That was the sign. Even though the human line of David lost faith in God, there's going to come one in David's line whose faith and trust in God the Father would remain unflinching. It remained completely secure. Even though the human line of David chose foolishly, there's going to come another in David's line, Isaiah says, who will choose wisely every time. Even though Ahaz's choice led to tragedy, there's another king to come whose choices will bring victory. The descendant of David to come is going to wait patiently on God the Father's will. He's going to obey God the Father's way. He's going to listen to God the Father's timing, and he will do what is right in every single circumstance. And all those who trust God, all who choose to believe, they will wait patiently for him to come and for him to become the king that Ahaz and so many others failed to be, you see. Like Matthew says of Jesus, hundreds of years later, pointing back to these very words of Isaiah, the virgin will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He will fulfill God's purpose. He will save his people. He will keep David's line. He will be a king after God's own heart. It is understandable how we might be tempted, just like Ahaz was, to respond to the crises of our world in such unwise haste. You know, we can surely understand how concerned he was as he stood there, it says, at the pool or the aqueduct. He was wondering how long the water was going to flow into Jerusalem before the armies of the enemies cut it off, as he stood there and watched what was happening. We understand. He thought of those who had already died. He thought of those who were grieving because of soldiers who had died. He, as he stared at those armies arrayed against him there in the fields, he wondered how long this would be. How long could he last? As he worried about the welfare of all those for whom he was responsible. He, he rushed to choose what seemed best at the moment without considering the longer view. And the place of faith 
and the greater realities at work in our world. But his choice led to so much destruction, you know. Please, if we ever find ourselves in that place, let's remember Ahaz and do not do as he did. As we find ourselves in times of great crisis, and they come to life, they do. As we find ourselves in those times, let's choose faith. Let's intentionally, in those moments, open ourselves to trust, to believe that God really is able to work. Let's allow our eyes to see the signs that he wants to give. And let's believe that our king really is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, even in the toughest circumstance. Our God is with us if we will wait patiently on him. If we will, in his way and in his time, he'll bring good. And he'll make all things right. The lesson of Ahaz for us at Christmas. The lesson of Ahaz for us. For the Lord to come, to work in our lives, let us wait patiently. Let us wait patiently and believe and believe. Lord, would you help us always, especially in times of crisis, would you help us to act on the faith that we say we have, to trust that you really will work and that you will really bring good if we will wait on you. Would you give us the faith to see you and to know you're there and to believe you care and to trust your word in spite of what we see, in spite of what seems to be the reality. Father, help us to choose to trust and to wait for you to save. And Lord, when our trust in you is, is shaken, would you remind us in a way that we can grasp how much relies on our choice to believe. (laughs) Show us clearly how much might be helped or hurt by our patient reliance on you. Thank you for including this account in your word to remind us, to remind us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.